Good, good morning. <clears throat> we are in Ephesians chapter 6. If you'd like to turn there, Ephesians chapter 6, titled The Medicine Spiritual Warfare. Whew, good stuff. I mean, good that we be prepared. Also, you know what, while you're turning there, quick announcement. Um, Amir Sarfate is going to be speaking here February 5th. It's a Saturday morning. Uh, many of you have seen him with Jack Hibbs many a times, and we'll have to get Jack out here again, too. Um, but it's going to be awesome. We're going to do a Saturday morning, 10 o'clock mini conference. The director of operations for Behold Israel, which, they, that, which is their ministry, will be speaking to Mike Goulet. And then Amir will be speaking, and then we'll be doing questions and answers. So um, we're already getting a lot of people calling from outer islands that are wanting to fly over for it. So I want to encourage you guys get here early so you can get a seat. Don't wander in after 10 o'clock because you probably won't have a seat. So we're going to do our best to accommodate everybody. And maybe if we get two packed, we can put young kids on the floor up here or something like that. Probably shouldn't even say that on the video. <laughs> Fire department. Um, okay, anyway, next Let's get into our, let's pray. <laughs> Father, thank you. Um, thank you, Lord God, that your word is so complete that you even tell us what to look out for. You warn us about the, the wiles of the enemy and the crazy stuff and the way he comes at us. It's so subtle that it takes us by surprise. And so I pray today that you would give us an ear to hear the Holy Spirit and to minister to our hearts and give us a better awareness of uh, the tactics of the enemy and why it's so important to put on the armor of God. And so, Lord, we ask that you would have your way with us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, I was going to try to do the whole rest of the chapter, but I realized that there's so much that we need to talk about to understand what we're up against, that we're going to look at the, uh, the actual armor next week. Today we're going to look at why we need the armor. And the message title is Spiritual Warfare. So let's read verses uh, 10 through 13. Chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, and in the power of His might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day and having done all, to stand. We're up against a lot. I don't know about you, but this world has gotten crazier in the last year and a half than I've ever seen in my life. Anybody here experience any spiritual warfare this week? Can I encourage you? If you feel like you're under attack all the time, you're probably doing something good for the Lord. If you're here today and you say, oh, no, I never get attacked, then you might check your pulse for the Lord. Because the more we venture out to do things for God, the harder we get hit. And why are we surprised when the attacks come from all angles? 
We forget that we committed our, to do more for Jesus. We stepped up the plate. We took up a ministry. We took up a leadership role. We went on a mission field. We decided we were going to give more or do more. And the enemy comes in and he assaults us. Why? Because if he can get us to pull back, he can stop you from furthering the kingdom. And he's lost you already. He, he doesn't have you. You've given your life to Jesus Christ. But he wants to stop you from sharing the gospel with anybody else. He wants to stop you from doing anything for the Lord. And so we just read that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against demonic spirits. But we so many times don't even wake up to that fact. You think you're having a fight with your spouse. You think you're having an argument with another Christian. You have problems with this person or that person. You're not wrestling against flesh and blood. It's something demonic. It's the enemy coming in and, and he can't force you to do anything. Praise God or we'd all be dead. But he whispers in your ear. He goes after our pride. Right? Oh, oh the marriage? Your spouse has some things to say about you. You're upset. And you know, what's the enemy do? He whispers in your ear. He says, you going to take that? You going to put up with that? Did you hear what they just said about you? You know that's not right. You have every right to fire back. That's how subtle the enemy is. And so God is warning us about spiritual warfare here. And then he's going to tell us next week about putting on the armor of God and how important that is each and every day to be putting on the armor of God because we're in a warfare. I can't tell you how many pastors have got off the plane in the airport who have spoke at this church and said as soon as they got off the plane, they felt the oppression on this island. This island is harder on marriages than any other place I've ever been. It's harder on people. It's like the Garden of Eden, but there's serpents everywhere. And people are getting sifted like wheat. Why? Because they're not prepared. They don't understand the battle. They, they don't realize that they're fighting a demonic spirit and not the person that's next to them. They don't realize we're in a warfare. They thought, oh, I come to Jesus and everything's just going to be, you know, sugar and spice and everything nice. Where did you read that? That's called heaven. But right now, he said, listen, it's, it's hard to live for me, as Jesus said. It's going to be tough. You're going to have much tribulation. But I have overcome this world. And I will see you to the end. And he will keep that which he's committed to each and every one of us. And we win. But it's not going to be easy. But this is not our home. We're just passing through the war zone. And in the midst of all the bombs and the explosions and the things going off, what are we doing? We're yanking people out of hell by giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're teaching them about the armor of God and having your protection on. When you get hit every day and you say, wow, did I pray today? Probably your problem. You didn't. Did you wake up this morning? How many prayed for the armor of God this morning? I did because I was teaching on it, but I mean... Did anybody pray for me last night? Anybody? I felt, you know, I went to bed at 5.30 in the afternoon and I woke up at 6 this morning. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I feel more tired. I don't know what it is. 
But it's like, it's, you know, here's the thing. I, if anybody that knows me, I don't sleep. I'll be up tomorrow. I mean, tonight, I'll be up tonight probably around 12 midnight, and that's how I roll. But I slept last night because, you know what? It's so, it's so awesome that God will give me that sleep I need on a Sunday morning to do what I need to do. And that's what he does for all of us. He gives you what you need for the moment to finish what he's called you to do so you can complete it. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're left to yourself. That's why I say ask for a fresh refilling. Lord, fill me afresh. I got done with what you called me to do, but now I'm left to myself and I don't like it. Just fill me up so I can overflow into the next person that I come in contact with. We've been looking at these passages. We're wrapping up this book, this incredible book that has showed us from the start in chapters 1, 2, and 3 all that Jesus has done for us. All that the Father has done for us. How He feels about us. How He sees you. And how He has told us that we have all spiritual blessings at our fingertips, but so many Christians aren't grabbing onto those spiritual blessings. And they're wondering why their life just goes like this, a roller coaster. Because you haven't tapped into the resources that God has given you. Oh, you've heard of them. That's nice and everything. But hey, they're at your fingertips. You have not because you asked not. And so we discover how God feels about us. We discover all that He's done for us. And then when you get to chapters 4, 5, and 6, then it's your reasonable response to what He's done and why we should serve Him. Why we should walk worthy of our calling. Why we should stand fast and fight against the enemy. And God has gifted every one of you. And has called every one of you. Are you answering the call? Oh, he's, he's speaking to you. But have you said kind of like, well, well, not this week, Lord. Maybe next week I'll do that. Or that's a little uncomfortable. That's kind of out of my comfort zone. He's going to get you out of your comfort zone. Let him do it, but he's going to give you the power to do it. We want to be faithful. Don't you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? You know, in the Gospels, Jesus tells this story of, of the man, the master, who gives talents to three men. He gives one man five, one man two, one man one. And then he goes away. And it's a picture of Jesus Christ giving us gifts and talents to do His will. And then He goes away, but He's coming again for us. And so when this man comes back, he goes to the one that he gave five, and he says, what'd you do with it? And he said, he said good, good master, I, I invested the five you gave me. I got another five. I got ten. He's like, all right, awesome. High five. He goes to the guy that he gave two. He says, what'd you do with the two? And he says, hey, I invested them. I got two more. I got four now. And he goes, Woo, right on. High five. And he goes to the one that had one. And he said, what did you do with it? And he goes, well, I knew you were a hard master. And so I was afraid I buried it. I didn't do anything with it. And you know what Jesus called him? A wicked, slothful servant. He said, at least you could have put it in the bank and got some interest. Why am I saying this? Because many of you, God has spoken to you about doing something for Him and you haven't done it. Oh, I, I've heard all the excuses. Oh, you know, I'll never be a pastor. I can't get up there and lead worship. Children's ministry, just not my thing. Mission field, ooh, I, I just can't do it. You know, you better watch out for that kind of thinking. 
Because one day you're going to stand before Jesus and Jesus is going to say, what did you do in your life for me? Oh, well, I was scared and they didn't do anything. And Jesus called that man a wicked servant. We need to put our trust in Jesus Christ. Don't doubt if he's called you to do something. Don't doubt that he can't complete it. He's going to give you all the resources. He's going to give you everything you need to do it. And in times like this, in the spiritual warfare that all of us have been dealing with in the last year and a half globally, this has been a weird season. I don't know about you, but I just think we are closer than ever before to the Lord coming. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I like it. But meanwhile, are you going to finish well? Now, here's the problem with everything that's gone on in the last year and a half. So many Christians have gotten their eyes off of Jesus and got their eyes on the world. And now we're consumed with what? The pandemic, uh, global uh, finances, uh, wars, rumors of wars, and, 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 and so many people are spending so much time on the internet and in the news that they don't have time for this word of God anymore. And guilty in the beginning. I mean, I was like on the news. I was checking out COVID, all the reports, everything. I was investigating and investigating the World Economic Forum and investigating this, you know, one world rule and and all this stuff. And next thing you know, I find myself watching hours and hours of this video and that video. And next thing I know, I realize I'm not reading my Bible. And so I had to push all that stuff aside Be in the know. Watch some news. Check out a few things. Pick out a couple of credible reporters and and find out what's going on. You don't want your head in the sand, but is what you're looking at taking over your reading and prayer life? If it is, you're going in the wrong direction. We're also interested in the White House. What's going on there? Well, spiritual warfare is what's going on there. Hello! Satan's after the big boys. He's not after you. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at all times. He's after the big boys. World leaders. So don't get consumed with the world. Get consumed with Jesus. I'm not putting my trust in the White House. I'm putting my trust in God's house. Because we're all like, well, you know what? If just somebody else would have got into office, everything would have been better. Yeah, if they were born again. What's going to change this country is whoever's in the office that has a transformed life. Just because they say they're a Christian doesn't mean they're a Christian. You know, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, they didn't even know it was Judas. That's how well he covered himself. We hear a lot of politicians saying they're Christians, but they support abortion. They're anti-Israel. They support same-sex marriage. Those aren't the policies of God. I, I don't know why I got sidetracked. We've come to this portion of Scripture that speaks about spiritual warfare, and we need to understand the origin. That when you get in an argument with a friend or your spouse, the enemy is present. And he's trying to get you to take the bait 
to fight your spouse, to fight your friends, to cause division in the church, to gossip about somebody and trash their reputation. That's demonic. He warns us about that all through the Scriptures. But we need to understand when we commit ourselves to God and we desire to serve God and to be used by God, we're going to come under attack more than ever before. If you look at war, if any of you have been in the military, infantry, the last place you want to be when you're in infantry is next to the tank. You see these movies where the tanks are coming in and all the guys are like alongside the tank. They're kind of like, you know, well, he won't see me, he won't see me. Uh, the tank draws heavier fire. Yeah, it's, it's heavy armor, so it gets heavier shells, heavier fire. Why? Because it's doing more damage. And when you're doing more damage for Jesus Christ, guess what? You're going to get attacked. The more we serve, the harder we get hit. Why are you surprised? And some of us, we've been getting hit really hard in the last year. And it's just like, boy, man, I'll tell you what. Sometimes I'm just like, what's next? And just when you think it can't get any crazier, it gets crazier. And just when you're like, okay, well, I got through that. I think I'm clear for, oops. Boom, another bomb goes off. So in verse, uh, verse um, 11, well, I'll read 10 too. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Not strong in your own flesh. Strong in the Lord in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the, the wiles of the devil or the schemes of the devil. And what are, his, what are his schemes? If he can't force you to do something, what does he do? He puts bait out there for you. Right? Now, some of you have a radical past. Immorality, thievery, drug addiction, drunkenness, brawling, aggression, abuse, anger. Um, and, and, the, and the enemy can't get you with that anymore. But you know what? He just keeps offering stuff until you take it. Right? Hey, I got some drugs for you. No, I don't, I don't do that anymore. Oh, okay, all right. Um, um, what about, what, what about uh, oh, I'll bring you a fine-looking girl. How's that? No, no, I'm living for Jesus. Okay, let me see. Let me, let me see. Uh, uh, oh, money, money. I give you, oh, you like that. Okay, so money. Now, money is not the root to all evil. The love of money is. But how subtle he is where he gets so many Christians so busy with money and working all the time, they can't come to church. They can't read their Bible. They don't have time to pray. It's subtle. He's going to offer you something, you're going to go, no. He's going to offer you something, he's going to say no. And then he's going to offer you something, he's like, oh, you like that? Okay, let's work there. That's how he rolls. He's out to get you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your life, him, your marriage, your church, your relationships. As he whispers in your ear and makes suggestions. He's powerful. You know, when I hear these people on, on TV, you know, these pastors, they're like, yeah, we're going to fight the devil. I'm going to fight the devil. I'm going to kick the devil. I'm going to stop the devil. <laughs> I don't want any part of that. Because I'm no match for him. I want to make sure my Lord's between me and the devil. I ain't taking him on by myself. He's a super powerful angel. I mean, there's ranks of angels. There's ranks of fallen angels. We're up against the battalions of wicked, 
demons and fallen angels. Satan is one of the most powerful angels there ever was. A a, a regular run-of-the-mill Barney the angel wiped out 185,000 Assyrians one night after dinner by himself. That's how radical they are. That's how powerful they are. You're going to go up against that? No. You want Jesus between you and the enemy. Angels were created before man. Matter of fact, in Job 38, the Word of God tells us that when God created and was laying the foundations of the world, that all the angels rejoiced with joy and sang over the creation. And Satan is a fallen angel. There's good angels and there's bad angels. We know from Revelation that when Satan fell, that a third of the angels fell with him. We don't know how many that is. We don't know how many there are. Angels are eternal, just as we are. We're all going to live forever. It's just where. You're either going to live in the presence of God or you're going to live tormented day in and day out in hell, tossed into the lake of fire at the end of all this. Some of the angels chose well and some didn't. And you need to understand that hell was not created for you and me. It was created for Satan and the fallen angels. But since sin entered in through Adam and Eve in the garden, God had to die for our sins to prepare a way to offer us a gift of salvation. Take the gift, live forever, escape hell. What's the catch? Just believe in Him. That's it. What do I got to do? Nothing. Just bring your sorry self to Him. Say, I'm a sinner. Save me. It's that easy. The thief on the cross. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all he said. He didn't say the sinner's prayer. He didn't go over the, you know, this, that, and everything. He just, he just cried out in his heart. He realized Jesus was who he was. Save me. It's that simple. We need to understand that angels cannot be redeemed. Jesus didn't die on the cross to redeem angels. He, he, he died for you and me so that we could be redeemed. He didn't die for angels. We are made in the, in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Genesis, we see the Trinity present. And when God said, let's make man, He said, let's make man in our image. We're the only created being made in His image. The angels are not created in His image. And maybe that's why Satan got jealous. In Ezekiel 28, we see a description of Lucifer, of Satan, of who he really is. And I want to read it for you. Ezekiel 28, starting at verse 11, says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord. Now, the king of Tyre was a real king. And remember what I said that Satan's after world leaders? So no doubt he had possessed the king of Tyre. So we're going to see a reference to the king of Tyre, but then we're going to also see that God looks at the king of Tyre as Satan because Satan's possessed him. And so you're going to see it quickly flips from the physical to the spiritual world. So the king of Tyre was a real king, a real human, 
but Satan was driving, was the driving force behind him, and God refers to him as this king of Tyre, lament for him. Thus saith the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, speaking of Lucifer, speaking of Satan, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty, the most beautiful created thing. You were in Eden. See, now you see how it's flipped from the physical to the, 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 the spiritual. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was covering the sardas, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, the emerald, gold, the workmanship of your timbrels and your pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. That speaks of his vocal cords that he was thought to have led worship in heaven. You were the anointed cherub who cover us. There was the mount of God. There was the throne of God. There's the four cherubim that we see around the throne. He was the cherub that covereth, that led worship. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. And by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. And therefore, I cast you out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroy you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I lay you before kings that you might, they might gaze at you. You defiled the sanctuary by the multitudes of your iniquities and by the iniquity of trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all that saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. In um, Isaiah 14, we see another description. In Isaiah 14, verse 12, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. His name was Lucifer, son of the morning. And now his name is Satan, the destroyer. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to hell, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness, who destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? He was one of the most amazing beings ever created. The origin of sin is pride. He wanted to be like God. We read the five I wills there in Isaiah 14. I, 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 I. And God says, no way. I will not share my glory with another. And here's the thing. When we get to heaven and we see that judgment being brought on Satan, we're all going to look at him going, this is the guy? This is the guy that caused so much. You know, we always think of uh, Satan as, you know, this 
this horns and a tail and a pitchfork. No, he was the most beautiful created being there ever was. He comes disguised as an angel of light. He doesn't come at you and go, I'm Satan. <sighs> no, he comes at you like, hey, sweetie, how you doing? Man, have I got something for you. Satan has always tried to thwart the plan of God. See, he fell because of pride. That's crazy. I mean, I try to grab onto that. Listen, you're living in the perfect environment. How could you turn on God? What? You thought there was something better? How could? I'm saying that to us. I'm saying that to me. Because this is something we, we, we all like. We go after things in the world like they're better. Thinking, well, you know what? If I serve God, it'll be a little boring. It won't be as fun. Really? Because I, I look back on my life. That wasn't so fun. And I look at these angels that have fallen. I'm like, how could they do that? How could they turn from God? You know, and then I think about Jesus' life. He lived in obscurity for about 30 years. They started his ministry at 30. It ended at 33. He, he, he was a, you know, the, the Holy Spirit descended upon him at the baptism. And he started the ministry because he was setting an example. He did what he's going to do for you. He did it himself to show as an example. But he came meek and lowly. And many times we mistaken meekness as weakness. No, meekness is power under control. And because he was so meek and lowly and kind and gentle, they looked down on him. They looked at him as weak. We don't want anything to do with this guy. And I wonder if that's how it was in heaven before the fall of Lucifer that maybe God didn't show all of his power because he wanted them to think of him more as just like them in a sense that they would love him for who he was and not because he's so powerful. Maybe. Wouldn't that be just like God? Doesn't God just want you to love him? He doesn't want to force you to love him. And so maybe, maybe with all the dazzling of these, these, these angels, I mean, because there's cherubim, seraphims, there's archangel, there's, there's messenger angels, there's all kinds of angels. And maybe you let them just kind of all show their power, and they're like, wow, whoa, wow. And maybe he just never really exercised the full extent of his power because he wanted them to love him for who he was. And they turned on that thinking that they're better and then realized, oops, that was a mistake. And these angels would be judged one day and they, they can't ask for forgiveness. God didn't redeem. He didn't die for angels. Angels cannot be redeemed. They made a choice and that's done. Because sometimes I hear people say, well, what if Satan just like, you know, repents? Not going to happen. Whole different scenario. Jesus didn't come to die for angels. He came to die for you and me. Angels made a choice. And it's, it's set. It's done. Satan's always trying to thwart the plan of God. He, he tried to stop it in, in the garden, right? Adam and Eve got him to sin. And then right there in the garden in Genesis, God says, listen, I'm going to put enmity between your seed and my seed. There's going to be a war going on between my seed and your seed, Satan. And there was this prophecy that there would be a virgin birth 
and that, that the Messiah was going to come through that. So Satan's been focusing his attacks the whole way throughout history of man to stop the Messiah from coming. That's why in, in Moses' day, Pharaoh tried to kill all the little male babies. They were trying to stop the Messiah. Satan empowered Pharaoh. That's why when you see when uh, the Lord told Saul to kill every man, woman, child, animals, everything of the enemy, and Saul didn't do it, that's why Saul got in such trouble. Because the remnant, by not killing the king and everybody that he was supposed to go after, that remnant came up against Israel and the Jews in the time of Esther. And Esther was in that time frame for just a time as this to save the Jews when they wanted to wipe out all the Jews and, and God used her to intervene. That's why when Jesus was born, Herod was so upset, he said, murder every, every baby two years old and under. Trying to stop the, the, the Messiah from coming. And you know, in David's day, David had Solomon, and then Solomon's line went down a few guys, and it came to this guy, Jack Oniah, Coniah, and, and, uh, and God pronounced a blood curse on him, and Satan must have went, oh yeah, we did it. We stopped the line of blood curse on Jack Oniah. Perfect! Did it! Touchdown! But if you study the genealogy that you find in Matthew chapter 1 going to Joseph, it, it goes through David, Solomon, all the way through to Joseph, but Joseph is not the legal father. When you study the timeline of the genealogy of Mary in the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, you will find that it goes all the way through to David, but not to Solomon. It goes through David's other son, Nathan, and the bloodline stays clean. So you got to admit, when, when Satan was in, like just going after the religious leaders in Jesus' time into Rome to get them to come against Jesus. He had to kill Jesus. And then, and then when he got them to put him on the cross and kill him, he's like, yeah, we did it. We stopped the Messiah. And it's so funny that God actually used him to help complete the mission. <laughs> you know, they're all dancing around. You look at the book of Psalms. They're circling the cross. Yeah, we did it. We did it. And all of a sudden, oops. Was he supposed to come out of the grave? Satan rules this world. He's the prince of this world. John 12, 31 says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince, the ruler of this world, be cast out. John 14, 30 says, We will no longer talk much with you, Jesus speaking, for the prince of this world is coming. He has nothing in me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 says, But even our gospel is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing whose mind the God of this age is blinded. Listen, there's a kingdom of darkness and there's a kingdom of light. And before you came to Jesus Christ, you were in the kingdom of darkness. It doesn't sound good. It's not really a good way to share the gospel sometimes to some people that you were evil, you were in darkness. <laughs> but it's true. And when you got saved and gave your life to Jesus Christ, you went from darkness to light. Now you're in the kingdom of light. There is no kingdom of gray. Because you got people like, well, I don't really believe in Jesus and I don't really believe in hell. Well, that ain't going to change anything. Buckle up. I'll tell you where you're going. Whose kingdom are you in? We need to understand that Satan has access to the throne of God. We see that in the book of Job. Job, the angels came before the throne of God. Satan was with them. What was he doing? <clears throat> he was pacing back and forth on the earth looking for someone to devour. Aren't you glad that God has a hedge of protection around you? That Satan needs permission to come after you? He's the accuser of the brethren. He wants to kill you. He would kill you if he could. 
There's a spiritual war going on, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And God gives us guardian angels. You can see that in Matthew, oh, what is it? Matthew 18, I think it is. Guardian angels. God gives us angels that minister. They are ministering spirits to the body of Christ. They are present. They are here to protect us. They're in this room right now. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Because, you know, how many of you got an argument? You don't raise your hand. How many of you got an argument with your spouse on the way here? You're not wrestling against flesh and blood. That was demonic. Did you think that that demonic being stayed in the car and is waiting for you to get out of church? No, comes right in, sits down next to you, stirs up trouble. Meanwhile, there's an angels in here trying to battle that. There's a spiritual force going on that we cannot see right now. See, as the Word of God is going now, the devil and his little cronies are trying to snatch up that Word so you don't hear it, so that you're bored in church, so that you fall asleep in church, so you won't grow in the grace and knowledge. Meanwhile, the angels are battling off those demonics. There's like a war going on in here right now. You don't see it. In 2 Kings 6, the king of Syria was so upset with the prophet Elijah, he wanted him. And so he's like, this is crazy. Every time I do a move, Elijah seems to know what's going on. Stuff I even whisper in my bedroom. He's, he's like, somebody's tapping my bedroom. And he says, no, this guy's a prophet of God. He just seems to know everything you're going to do before you do it. And so he says, i got to get that guy. And so he surrounds the city of Dothan where Elijah is with his servant And all these multitudes of troops are all around. And the servant comes out in the morning and he goes, Elijah, we're we're in trouble. What? The the, the army, the Syrian king has surrounded this whole place. We're toast. What are we going to do? And he says, "Ah, don't worry about it. There's more of us than there are of them. He said, what are you, nuts? There's two of us. Look at all these guys out here. And, and, And Elijah just goes, oh, Lord, open his eyes. And he opens his eyes and he sees the fiery chariots and the angels of God surrounding the enemy. It'd be nice if God opened our eyes to let us get a glimpse of what's going on. That there's a spiritual warfare going on. In Daniel 10, when Daniel was praying, Gabriel got to him and he said, listen, God heard your prayers as soon as you prayed. But he was detained for three weeks. Why? Because the prince of Persia had detained Gabriel, the messenger angel. The prince of Persia was a... Was a um, a symbol of of Satan. And Satan had detained him until Michael, the archangel, came. Your prince, the prince, the archangel for Israel. And then took on the battle so Gabriel could come bring you the message. That's what's going on. You're like, Lord hasn't answered my prayer. Maybe he's getting detained. Maybe the messenger he sent is getting detained. There's a war going on. That's like every time there's thunder and lightning, I'm thinking, that's a war. In verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. You're not fighting your spouse. You're not fighting your boyfriend, your girlfriend. You're not fighting your friend. You're not fighting someone in church. You're not at odds with the church. You're at odds with an enemy that's trying to destroy everything that you come in contact with. We need to understand there's different ranks of angels. There's different ranks in fallen angels. 
We don't know how many angels are, have, fell. We don't. Is that millions? Is that billions? Is that trillions? One-third of the angels. We know that much. Maybe that's billions. It's probably billions, so there's one for each of us. <laughs> You're like, no, I don't like that idea. They're a fallen group of angels. They're dark. They're in the kingdom of darkness, and they're very well organized. But you need to understand that Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. He's going after world leaders. He's going after the White House. He's going after Putin. He's going after the leader of North Korea and China. He's going after the Ayatollahs in Iran. That's where he's going and stirring up problems, getting them to push the button. He's not at your house. I know you say, well, the devil's really attacking me. It's not the devil. It's just some third-rate dropout from devil school that's at your house. But he's got his little cronies. Satan is not all-knowing. He can't read your mind. He can't read your mind. God can. It's a little scary. That's why he says, take your thoughts captive. That's why he doesn't judge you over temptation. He says, temptation is not a sin. It's when you start to entertain it. Satan cannot read your mind. Angels cannot read your mind. Did you know that angels are in here right now watching the service because they want to see God reveal His plan through the church? That's the mystery. That's why angels are looking into the things of men because God's going to re re reveal His plan about the church through the church and that's how the angels are learning about it. That's how special you are. So they can't read your mind, but God can read your mind. Angels are powerful, but they don't compare to God. He's, he's, just, he's in a place all by himself. That's why Satan can't step out of line because God can smoke him at any time. So you say, well, then why does he allow Satan to be around? Because he wants you to have a choice. Plain and simple. He wants you to choose him out of love. God has the ultimate power. Satan needs permission to do anything to us. Look at the book of Job. You'll see that. But you need to understand that when he gets permission, he means it for evil. But when God gives him permission to do something to you, to test you, he is doing it for your good. He is refining you in the fire. He's molding and shaping you. It seems horrible. You're crying, why God? Why God? Why? And he says, why not? You said you wanted more. Watch when you come through this. You're going to be so strong. And you're going to be a testimony for others around you. God has ultimate power. We saw that with Job. Let me close with this. Let me close with some good news. We win. We win. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are overcomers. We have Christ dwelling in us. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Therefore submit yourself to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. That's good news. Are you being attacked today? Answer to your problem. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, he'll flee. Well, I don't know if that's true. Well, then keep doing it your way. It ain't going to work. Submit. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. And he has to take off. That's good news. 
draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That's good news. Romans 16, 20 says, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. That's good news. Revelation tells us he's going to be thrown out of heaven, thrown out of this world, and cast into the lake of fire. That's good news. And last but not least, Romans 8, 31. Let me read this to you. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or peril of the sword? As it is written, for your sakes we are all killed all day long. You are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, yet in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement, Lord God. Help us to identify the enemy, Lord God, to see clear. Lord, help us to diffuse any arguments we have with our brothers, our sisters, our spouses, Lord God, because we recognize the origin of that argument, Lord God. Help us to be more like you, Lord. Lord, fill us afresh right now. Freshly anoint everybody to be peaceably and just full of joy and full of grace and just a, a great example of you as we go out these doors and give us divine opportunities. Lord God, we think you're coming soon and we want to finish and finish well. Help us to answer the call and be about your business. We ask all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys.